different, uh, the, the different anxieties which uh, situations in life present to us and what the gospel has to say about them. And this morning we're going to be talking about the, the culture of busyness and work because much oftentimes they, they tie together. And I think we're, we'll readily admit those cause many anxieties in some of us here. And we're going to be looking at this morning Exodus 20, uh, verses 2 through 11, um, which are the first, of the, of the first four of the, the Ten Commandments. Um, the Ten Commandments are divided into the, the first four aimed at God, and then um, the, the, the next ones, five through ten, how we, how we live with, with our neighbor here. And so we're going to be looking at the first four, but particularly looking at the, uh, the fourth one there. But before we, uh, we read, let's pray and ask for God's blessing upon his word. Lord, we are people who need uh, your spirit to bring our hearts to life. Uh, on our own, we are nothing. Um, we require life. Uh, you are the giver of life, and you do so through, through means like this, through means of your word. Uh, your spirit is pleased to, to, to act in these ways. And Lord, would your spirit move in us this morning uh, to give us rest to give us reassurance in who we are in Jesus. Perhaps for some of us, uh, for the first time, to truly look and see who Jesus is. Be present with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Exodus 20, verses 2 through 11. This is the word of God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Well, you see someone you haven't seen in a while, and you give them a greeting. One of the first questions that comes up is, how have you been? And what's the first answer that you, you tend to give? Or what is the answer that you expect to hear? Oh, I've been keeping busy. We use the idea of busyness as a sort of virtue these days. As if you're not busy or pushing yourself to the margins, then there's something wrong. Maybe not flat out, oh, that person's lazy. But are they doing all they can do? Are they missing out on something? And we end up taking our levels of busyness and we turn them into a moral issue. 
If I'm not filling up my days with productivity, then somehow I'm not justifying my existence or proving my value. If I'm not being pushed to do all that I can handle, whether it be work or school or other activities that take up my time, then there's something wrong. In other words, we look to work to find our purpose and meaning. And to live a good life, we need to eliminate the margins and push ourselves to excess. Jeff Bezos, the founder and CEO of Amazon, has told his employees to stop trying to achieve a proper work-life balance because it is a, quote, debilitating phrase. Well, why do we do this with our work? Why do we look at filling our lives with excess? Well, one reason is approval. We need a feeling that somehow we're justifying ourselves and our existence or to prove that we really are valuable. Maybe we need to prove ourselves to others, whoever it might be. It could be bosses or superiors. It could be friends or family to show them that we're worth something or out of fear because we need to keep up with everyone else. And just as often, it's, it's to find approval to our own selves, to prove to myself that I really can do it. But another reason, though, is, is for the purpose of gain. We need to pad our resumes for school uh, to gain every competitive advantage possible because if not, then I'm left on the outside. I need to overcommit myself because I need to be the best. I need to squeeze every little bit out of myself to attain a certain level of being. I need to gain a level of status. See, the issue isn't work itself, is it? It's that we let it turn into a taskmaster that then demands everything. Our various works and our motives for, for which we fill our lives to the margins then soon become an overlord that turn us into slaves. Toiling and laboring to no end. Seeking satisfaction that they cannot give. But in our passage this morning from Exodus 20, God has something to say about this condition to some people who are quite different from us but people who aren't quite so different as we like to think. God first spoke these words to the Israelite people whom he had, who had been previously held in bondage to Egypt and, and to Pharaoh. They had spent 400 years in a foreign land under the cruel hand of their oppressors. They were enslaved to every moment of their lives and every moment of their days was devoted to the Egyptian building projects the great pyramids and these other massive wonders that you can still go to the Valley of the Kings today to, to see uh, the, the, the fruits of their, their labors and their, their brick making. Not so much fruits in a good way, but, but their overlord there was Pharaoh. Uh, to them, he represented oppression and endless slavery to work. Each day, every day. So that life became an endless production quota Build more bricks. We expect this much progress today. Even when Moses first approached Pharaoh and asked them to re release the Israelites, Pharaoh balked at them and, and he increased their load because obviously they had too much time on their hands if they were wanting to go out and to sacrifice to this God. See, he wanted to squeeze every last drop out of them. They were nothing more to him than a commodity. And as we, we read this, God has something to say to us about how we fill our lives. He's a God who loves to work. He created us to work and to engage in all sorts of cultural activities and endeavors that have real value. He loves to work. 
But God also loves to rest. And here's the astounding thing. The sovereign God who is Lord over the cosmos owns everything, including you. But he doesn't just tell you to work harder. He doesn't tell you to do better, to do more. He begins by telling you to rest. And then after you rest, then take up your work. He gives you an identity that doesn't consist in working. He gives you an identity that consists in resting. It's an identity of freedom that he gives to his children. A freedom that allows us to work joyfully knowing that he is our master. And he isn't a tyrant. He isn't a taskmaster. He's benevolent and he cares. And he tells us to rest. And that changes everything. Freedom from anxieties. Freedom from working for approval and for the need to acquire. I want us to see this this morning. Enjoy the freedom of rest that God graciously gives. Enjoy the freedom of rest that God graciously gives. Because this is the freedom that comes from having a new master. Verse 2, God tells that to his people there. He says, remember who you were? All right. You were slaves to Pharaoh. You were under his demands. But now remember who I am, the Lord who rose up for you, the Lord who rescued you, who saved you. He had rescued them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with, with the ten plagues by bringing them, them out of Egypt, by drowning their enemies in the Red Sea while keeping them safe in turn. And then God then leads them now to Mount Sinai, and, and to formally take them as his own people he, there. And he summons them before him. And the glory of his presence comes down upon the mountain, upon Mount Sinai. And the mountain begins to smoke. And it trembles. And the, the earth quakes. And the Israelites, re, re, they recoil in fear. You've got to be thinking, is this our new master? What's he like? Is he going to be like Pharaoh? But out of this blazing fury of awesome glory comes the words, I am the Lord your God. And then he tells them to rest. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? Finally being free under a benevolent Lord who loves to give rest so much that he commands it. And that same God still loves to get rest, to, to give rest. Because when we were mired in our, our endless striving for acceptance, the Son of God came down, clothed in humanity, not to be served, but to serve. To take our, the yoke of our weariness and to give his light yoke instead. The heart of God the Father to give rest is revealed in his Son, Jesus he came to take the burdens of our work upon himself and set us free so that you can have perfect acceptance and justification from him. And that allows you to rest deeply in his finished work. And what is this rest? It's Sabbath. It's a holy rest. God is so good that he gives us a time set apart to enjoy gifts and to be refreshed. This is a sanctified rest, one that every single one of us here needs, even you. And I want to look at five things that this holy, about this holy rest that God gives. One is that rest is a reflection of God. Rest is a reflection of God. There's a time to work, and there's a time to rest. Both are needed. 
Work is part of who God made us to be. It is intrinsic to bearing the image of God. Verse 11 reminds us of that, where it says that God worked in the space of six days to create everything. And in that, he created humanity in his image. And as his image bearers designed in his likeness, to be his likeness in the world, he then created us to reflect him by working. There is a goodness to our work. Right. Your labors are used for the good of the world, for, for its advancement, for loving your neighbor. We find a level of meaning and fulfillment in our vocations and our callings, whatever it might look like. Not only our jobs, but in all our, our cultural endeavors. God worked. But let's not miss the, this other important part. He also rested. He didn't need to. He didn't do it because he was tired. His rest was voluntary. It was a voluntary end to his work. He brought it to completion. He said, it's all finished. And then he declared everything that he made to be very good. See, God's rest was in the enjoyment of the fruits of his labors. The seventh and final day was when he kicked his feet back and he took in all the beauty and the goodness of what he had just done. That's part of rest. Enjoying what you've brought to completion. Part of the joy of work is the satisfaction of a job well done. When, what if you continually worked without being able to, to enjoy the good fruits that come from it? It's called slavery. Work to the proper end is good. But like all things that are good, we tend to make it an idol. The problem isn't our work. The problem is excessive work. That's the issue. We do something that was never intended. We wrap ourselves so tightly up to our work that it becomes our identity. And again, to, to a degree, it is true that part of who we are is in the work that we do. But the issue, though, is when our identities become so wrapped up with our work that it consumes everything else. It's easy to grade ourselves against others based upon what they do how well they do their work, how busy their lives are, how much their schedule allows. In doing so, we start looking to our occupations and our vocations to give us purpose and meaning rather than finding it in only what God can give. And we need regular Sabbath rest as a reminder that our labors aren't everything. They will not give us the true rest or enjoyment that our souls crave. So God gives us Sabbath as a gift to remind us of our limitations, to remind us of our inabilities, and to be reminded that seeking satisfaction is in who God says we are. It's in who God says we are. So number two, from that we see rest as a gift. Rest is also a gift. True rest can only be found in the presence of God. You are both body and soul. You are holistic people. Thus, true rest is holistic. It is a transcendent rest of security from our insecurities, peace for our anxieties in knowing that we belong to, a, to the creator. And how do we get that? How do I labor to enter his presence and rest? By working endlessly? No. The reality is that your own work will never be good enough to gain approval in the eyes of God. And if that's surprising to you, I'm sorry. 
A boss isn't going to, to accept subpar work for the assignments that are given. Your, your supervisor gives you a project to work on and you proudly turn in shoddy work. She's not going to give you a pass on it. It doesn't matter if you explain well, all the time that you've spent on it, how you've tried your hardest. Poor substandard work just isn't going to cut it. And if an earthly boss wouldn't accept that, why would we, would we ever think that a righteous and holy transcendent God would? You cannot earn rest in your strivings for righteousness, which is why rest needs to be a gift that comes from God. He doesn't give you a pass for your poor work. He doesn't put a stamp on all your failures. No, he gives you the full credit of perfect work so that you can enjoy rest. It doesn't come from you. It's a gift from another. It's a gift from Jesus. The one who spent his whole life laboring from beginning to end. Jesus says that he came to do all the work that his father gave him to do. People demanded that he would be someone else. To put his identity in what they wanted him to do and be rather than the purpose for which he came for. And that led him all the way to the cross where he proclaimed that his work was finished. And he actually brought his labors to the full, perfect fulfillment. So that every time we put our identities in our own work, we live for ourselves and we rebel from our God-given purpose. We become guilty of making idols that are cheap imitations of the true God. But in dying, Jesus frees sinners from all the wrong that they've done including our failures to seek meaning from where it's due. And in turn, then, he gives you the perfect credit for all his work. See, rest is a gift. You get, you get to enjoy rest from God that is given freely in Jesus. And that means you get to rest from all your weary labors and all of their imperfect ends. When you celebrate Sabbath rest, you're enjoying the fruits of God's labors, of Jesus' labors. Now, to be sure in that, you're still going to feel the pulls and the demands of your work. It's not easy to set aside, to set aside time for holy rest. Our flesh wants to, to work to ceaseless ends. We know rest is good, but our bodies and souls still resist it and push against it. To fill our schedules just a little bit more, to put a few more demands on ourselves, trying to convince ourselves that ah, it's okay, I can handle it. But we need to shift our understanding of Sabbath to being a gift, something special that God gives. Let's not turn this into a discussion on what you should or shouldn't do on a, on a Sunday. People have different convictions on what that looks like, but the important thing to remember here is that the Lord's day is God's gift to you for your refreshment for your enjoyment. If we reframe it like that, it's liberating. Because he knows that you are weak, physically and spiritually. He knows we need this rest and refreshment. And it's his good provision for strengthening us and to give us that refreshment. So why not enjoy it? God has literally rearranged the weak by the gospel to give you the opportunity to rest and to enjoy it. So rest is a gift, but three, rest is freedom. Okay, rest is freedom. If we see it as a gift, then we'll also see it as freedom. Because part of why we become anxious with our work is because of the need to feel and earn approval. 
to feel a sense of self-worth, of finding acceptance, especially with busyness being one of the, the chief virtues in our modern age. It's why we give so much of who we are to work, to exceed expectations in a culture that already has high expectations for us. But the rest that God gives in Jesus flips that upside down. The gospel of Jesus, the good news, says that I am not approved before God because of my work. It says that I am approved only because of Jesus' work that I hold so desperately to. In other words, you will find in Jesus that you will already have all the approval that you will ever need. And if you are approved, then you are free. You are free. You are free from all the demands that others have for you. Why? Because you don't need their approval. If you are approved before God, that's all you ever need. Nothing else really matters there. If you've done the best you can, if you've honored both God and your, your superiors, that's enough. Because God sees you as being enough as you wear the robes of Jesus' perfect righteousness. What's the, the use of being approved by others in that moment if you're not before the one whom it really matters? And that means getting past others and whatever they might think about you and learning to love the righteousness of Jesus, learning how to live freely in his perfect justification that you have in him. But you're also free from the demands that production quotas want to put upon you. Employees are valued upon their output. It's pure economics. God's not concerned about your output. God doesn't have a, a quota that he demands of you. His love isn't determined by your quality of work, nor its quantity. He just simply loves you because of this. You are his adopted child in Jesus. Now, young children don't generally do great art or quality of work. Kids are known for making massive amounts of work, but, but quality, eh, not so much. I'm experiencing that right now as a dad. I have to ask my boy whenever he gives me a drawing. I say, oh, show me, show me, show me what that is, and I think I can find out what, what it is there, right? Um, just so I can correctly identify what it is you know, that he's drawn on that piece of art. But despite its quality, I still delight every single time that he gives me one of his art projects. Why? Not because it's particularly good or of exceptional quality, because of how much art that he's doing and giving to me. No, I delight in it because I delight in him. As you work and labor, try your hardest. Fulfill what you can. But you're, you're free from having to earn approval based upon meeting quotas because God delights in you and he calls you his child. But you're also free, though, from the culture of consumerism. You're free from the demands of excess. Some of us here might endlessly work because we have a lifestyle that we think we need to attain. Or if you're there, you have to keep it. That's a lie that the culture wants to sell you, that your value is determined by what you have or by all of the experiences that you, that you do or the excesses that you have. See, Jesus frees you from that, too. He reminds you that whenever you practice Sabbath, see, holy rest is holy subversion. You are undercutting and you're rebelling against the prevailing culture of excess 
when you take time to rest. Because in him, you have the greatest treasure. You have an eternal reward. You know the living God. You have a place in his kingdom, and there is nothing more that you will ever need. But four, rest is also a testimony or a witness. Go back to Exodus 20. When God declares that he is the Israelites' new master because he has freed them from their old previous way of life, life of slavery, life of bondage. And that leads to the first commandment then. He says, you shall have no other gods before me or besides me. He is their new master and Lord because of his gracious, redemptive work, and he will then have the preeminent place in their lives. The next few commandments illustrate that a little bit as he tells them how to worship him, um, that they're to regard him as sacred. But then that gets to the fourth commandment, the one about rest. Remember a holy rest from your labors. See, the mark of belonging to the Lord was enjoying his gift of rest. Now think about what that would have looked like. An entire nation there taking a day off. I think others, other nations would have taken notice. They'd come, they'd come in seeking to trade and engage in commerce with them. And that was fine for six days. But then the seventh day comes, they'd find the whole commerce system was shut down as everyone took a break. And this was an, a, was an agrarian society also. You work in the fields and the flocks for, for six days, but then you take the seventh off. Farm work isn't easy. Uh, It demands a lot of time, but they took the day off nonetheless. Because Sabbath was a testimony. It was a testimony that they belonged to another Lord. It was a witness. A witness to the God who had redeemed them from slavery. That he wasn't like the others because he gave them rest. Sabbath rest was a sign that they had a master who transcended their everyday labors and called them to something greater. And that's something that is so important for us to consider. That you have a new master. If you belong to God, then he demands no other gods beside him. Rejecting Sabbath rest is more than just rejecting a good gift purchased for you. It's actually pushing away the public witness that Jesus is our master. We're actually picking up the old yoke of slavery that was on us prior to our redemption. And we try to put it back upon ourselves. Or we find a way to try to wear both, and it doesn't work. Jesus says that you cannot serve two masters. One is inevitably going to take precedence over the other. So are you going to revel in the redemption that you have, that you belong to a gracious master? See, taking Sabbath rest is a sign and a testimony that you belong to Jesus. You don't belong to your job or your boss, or your school, or your team. You're not bound to the approval of others or of needing to always stay busy. No, if you follow Jesus, then you belong to the one who bought you with his very life. Rest is a testimony that you belong to the God who transcends all things and calls you to something greater than simply making a name for yourself. He calls you to himself to know your creator and to be shaped by him. Christians often talk about wanting to do something radical for God. Do you want to do something radical? You want to do something really radical? Hear this. Take time off and rest on the Lord's day. I guarantee that will raise eyebrows. 
Sabbath rest is the most countercultural thing that you can do, especially when everything around you screams to fill your calendars or to, vote your, to devote yourselves to productivity. But see, the church's witness isn't that you can just come and join us and add something else to your life. No, the church's witness is that you can come precisely because we don't need to be busy. We are an unbusy people. You can unburden yourselves here. I realize that's hard because you're inevitably going to, to, to let people down. But who's your master? Jesus tells his disciples to pick up his cross and to follow him. It's one of those ways. But fifth and last, rest is anticipation. The end goal of the Sabbath for Israel wasn't just to not work on a certain day. It was more than physical rest, which was needed. It has always, though, been a picture of entering the eternal rest of God. All meaningful work has an end goal in mind. That's satisfaction. Working without ceasing and never being able to rest in that, in that end is a sign of futility. Even from the beginning, God's resting on the Sabbath and having humanity follow accordingly was a picture of resting from our labors in a fuller way of eternal satisfaction, of being able to cease from all of our labors out of necessity and demand. God worked for six days, and then he entered into rest and enjoyment. Jesus did that finally and completely. He came to do the work given to him by doing everything necessary for the rescue of his people. In fact, right now, as a resurrected Lord sits enthroned in the heavenly places, he rules, but he also rests. It's significant that he took a seat next to the Father. All his work is finished, and he's now resting. And that's the type of eternal rest and relief that he shares with his own. Not all of us here are equal in our work output, but all in Jesus are equal in receiving rest because it's not dependent upon your own production or status before others. We become equal in rest because we are equally given Jesus' credit. Whenever you practice Sabbath rest, then you're telling the world that you are already approved before God and that your destiny lies in the eternal rest that he gives in Jesus. Your identity isn't in your work. It's in Jesus' work and in his rest. And therefore, you are destined for something greater than a full calendar or time in the office, or the number of likes that you get on social media. Taking these times of holy rest is an, anticip is an enjoyment of what's to come. It's anticipation. Anticipation that you're waiting, but also with the future reality being enjoyed right now. It's a sign of heaven retroactively breaking down into your life. See, Sabbath entails faith that, that the coming Lord who has redeemed you from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery, from endless demand and seeking approval will come again and will bring you safely into his eternal rest. Rest is a gift of God. Enjoy it because it speaks volumes about who you are and also the God who graciously gives it. Let's pray. Lord, you know what we need better than, than we ourselves know. You 
tell us to rest because you know that apart from that, we are going to continue to try to, to fill our lives with, with all the other things that do not speak uh, to, to who we are. But Lord, you tell us to rest because we can rest freely in Jesus. You, have, you love to give rest. Help us to see that as a gift. We don't see it often as a gift. We see sometimes, the, the terribleness of this is that sometimes we see rest as a burden and Lord, change our hearts from that, from seeing rest as a gift and being able to delight in Jesus and what he has done, of being able to learn to, to wear his perfect righteousness and to bask freely in that. Because we are in, in that, we are free from all approval of anyone else. Give us hearts that are attuned to that. In Jesus' name, amen.